If you have your Bible, your copy of God's Word, whether in written or digital form, I invite you to open up to the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24. Matthew 24. We'll be reading beginning in verse 36 here shortly. Um, But as you turn there, let me pray for us in our time together this morning. Heavenly Father, we are grateful and overwhelmed by your promises, which are fulfilled and affirmed to us in Jesus Christ. God, give us ears to hear this morning what you want to say to us. God, help us to be wise, faithful servants, to be commended on the last day. And I pray that our time together this morning would um, remind us and uh, reinvigorate us toward that end, God, that our lives would be a reflection of your soon and sudden return. And we praise you for this ask you to speak to us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I don't know if you know this, but the world is coming to an end this Friday, July 29th. Now, no, 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 you can't laugh about this. This is legit. I saw it on YouTube. So, uh, yeah, there's this group called End Times Prophecy. They made a 17-minute long video, released it about two weeks ago, and said that Jesus is coming back this Friday July the 29th. Now, the way they figured this out is it's uh, not the best uh, graphics in the world on this video if you choose to go look at it. But basically what they say is there's this actual, it's a, it's a legitimate geological event called a polar flip. NASA has recognized that they say it's just a natural occurrence. But no, this group, End Times Prophecies, they say that this will start a cataclysmic series of events that will culminate in the ending of the world and Christ's return. Now, some of you laughed, obviously, because you're like, okay, yeah, we've heard some of these things before. Um, but, but it would be pretty awesome, right? So, I mean, the good news of that is we wouldn't have to worry about who's going to be president of the United States, right? I mean, that would be, that'd be all right, you know? Um, but the bad news is this group is kind of known for their missed prophecies. So, for example, they said that in May an asteroid was going to crash against the earth. Didn't happen. Um, In June, they said that President Obama would uh, reveal himself as the Antichrist, which, well, some people say yes, some say no, but, you know, as far as we know, that didn't happen, you know, so this group is kind of sketched to begin with, and uh, I was reading this article in USA Today about it, and uh, the news writer was kind of poking fun at it, as as you might assume, he was quite dismissive of what was going on, I just want to read you the end of this article It says, as YouTube user typical white teenager says in a comment under the video, I just caught a Dragonite Pokemon, and if I'm going, my Dragonite is coming with me. Pokemon Go followers aren't the only ones who would suffer from a July 29th apocalypse. Football season is about to kick into gear, the leaves will be changing soon, and the holidays will be right behind. Plus, July 29th is a Friday. Seriously, a Friday. Why are doomsayers always such buzzkills? Right? Now, 
most of us laugh at that. And we're like, you cannot take this group that came up with this very seriously. Right? And we, 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 we know our Bible. We know what Jesus says about the day and the hour. We're going to look at that this morning. But just as we don't necessarily take them seriously, we should take the return of Jesus Christ very seriously. And it should impact everything we do every day we live. And so that's what we're going to take a look at today. In God's Word, in the Gospel of Matthew 24, if you start at the beginning of chapter 24, Jesus is having a discussion, a dialogue with his disciples about the end of the world. They ask him about this, and he starts sharing with them what will be some of the signs, what's going to happen, what to look for, what not to look for, what to be alarmed at, what not to be alarmed at. And as he comes to the end of this, he says a verse that's probably already popped into your head today about concerning the day and the hour when, the, when all of these things will happen, no one really knows. And so when we hear these doomsday prophecies, we immediately just kind of become dismissive or we laugh or we chuckle. But here's a good question for us. What if Jesus didn't come back on Friday? What if he came back today? If you knew for certain that Jesus was coming back this afternoon at 3 o'clock, how would that change your plans for the rest of the day? How would it change your attitude? How would it change your prayer life, the conversations you have, the people you meet, the schedule you have? How would those things change? And what Jesus is actually going to tell us, that it's actually because we don't know the day and the hour that we need to be ready at a moment's notice for his sudden and soon return. And so the question we have to ask ourselves, each one of us has to be reflective today and say, am I ready? So if you have your copy of God's Word, we're going to begin in Matthew 24. I'll begin in verse 36. Chapter 24, verse 36. Jesus says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So we see Jesus tells this brief parable about a thief and a householder to drive home this point that although we don't know the day and the hour of his coming, we can be certain that it will be a promise that will be fulfilled and that we must be ready when he comes. Jesus here in verse 36, he says, but concerning that day, he uses this phrase, that day. And throughout this chapter, Jesus is referring to what is known in the Old Testament as the day of the Lord. If you read the Old Testament uh, you'll see, especially in the prophets, you will hear about this coming day of the Lord. Well, what is this day of the Lord that he's talking about? What is that day that Jesus is referring to? Well, it was part of uh, the Jewish 
religion as they heard from God and God's word that one day God would set all things straight. All the injustices of the world would be set right. All of the pain and suffering that is experienced in this world would come to an end in one final day, the day of the Lord, which would be a day of judgment where every person throughout history, the living and the dead, would stand before God and give an account for their lives. And for some, that is going to be an incredibly joyful day because they are of God's people. They are of God's flock. They have put their faith and trust in the Lord to save them. And those who know the Lord on that day, yes, we will give an account for our lives, but at the end of that, we will be welcomed into God's kingdom as he wipes away our iniquities, as he gives us eternal life. That's great news for some of us. But for others of us, that day will be a terror-filled day and a day of great sorrow as we look back over our lives and realize that our lives pretty much were a hand to the face of God saying, I don't need you, God. Uh, Whatever you got, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. And those who reject or ignore God in this world will face the judgment of God and receive the punishment from a righteous and holy God well-deserved for their rebellion and sin against him. Now, that's heavy news. And some of you here today, you may have been, maybe you're not a Christian, maybe you were invited by a friend or a family member, and already you're saying, okay, they're talking about end times, we've already chuckled about how absurd that sounds, and they're going to talk about hellfire and brimstone, turn or burn, I'm checking out. Well, wait just a minute, just, if you would just... Hear me out here. Let me explain to you what the Bible says about the predicament that we are in. Every single one of us. And that may change the way that you see this picture of the end of the days. You see, God created every single person on the planet. And he created us to know him and to enjoy him. And he set a pattern for us to live our lives in such a way that we might enjoy his fellowship, his presence, and his love in our lives. But from the Garden of Eden on, every single person on the planet, in one way or another, has rejected God's offer of love. Through our sins, we are being rebellious towards this holy and righteous and perfect God. And because we have broken that pattern that he has set up for us, We are guilty before him. And because he is a good, righteous judge, he will not leave the guilty unpunished. If you had a judge that just would say, oh, I know that this guy was guilty of murder, but I'm just going to kind of overlook it. You'd say, that's not a good judge. That guy's not, he's not righteous. He's not, he's not doing his job. No, the guilty should be unpunished. The crazy thing is most of us don't want to consider ourselves guilty. But we have. Each one of us, the Bible says, has gone our own way. We've We've done our own things. In one way or another, we have rejected God and his plan for us. And so, for those that meet God in that state on the last day, God will give them his righteous judgment. He will punish them for the penalty due for their sins, which is death, both physical and spiritual. And that is bad news. But there's good news. Because this same God that is holy and righteous judge is also a loving and merciful Father. And he has made a way for us to be reconciled to him. 
He has made a way for us to be brought back into right relationship, for sins to be forgiven, and for us to receive pardon on his behalf, to know him, to experience eternal life in him. And the way he did that is that he sent his son Jesus. God in the flesh came to this earth, lived the perfect life that you and I could not live. We could never meet the expectations that God has for us. But Jesus did. And because he did, he was the only suitable substitute for us. And the death that we deserved, he took upon himself when he died on the cross. And he was buried in the ground, and he rose three days later, conquering sin and death. And the Bible tells us that he ascended into heaven, where right now he sits at the right hand of the Father. But one day he did promise he is going to return for this day of the Lord. And that day of the Lord will be exciting for those who have recognized their state before him, have cried out to him, turned from their sin, repented, and asked for his forgiveness. And you can do that today if you've never done that. It's as simple as putting your faith and trust in what Jesus has done for you. It's as simple as asking his forgiveness, repenting of your sins, turning away from that life, and receiving the new life that he gives you. And when you do that, it doesn't mean you're going to be perfect forever, but it does mean that that he has washed away your iniquity and the guilt. And that one day, you will, on that day, you will stand before him and he will see you as one of his children. And he will welcome you into his eternity to be with him and to experience his love and his presence forever. What good news that is. He has provided a way, but it requires a response. We have to respond to him. Those who choose not to respond to him, that are dismissive or ignore this offer that he makes to us will receive the just punishment that he will give on that last day. And so when Jesus is talking about on that day, that's what he's talking about. This is the day that he's talking about when he will return. Now for us as Christians, this is an incredible day. It has, this has incredible implications, as I've already explained, for those who don't know Christ and could be saved today. But it, this This parable that he's telling, these conversations that he's having in Matthew 24 is for his disciples. So what I want us to do for the rest of our time today is to look at that. What are the implications of what his return should look like in our lives? Look here again in verses 42 to 44. Jesus tells this parable, Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. We see in this really short parable, this kind of real-life illustration to communicate a spiritual truth, Jesus likens this to a person who's in charge of a household, this householder, and if he would known when a thief was going to come and try to break in in the middle of the night, he would have been watchful. You know, if somebody had given a tip that, hey, there's this guy, he's going to try to break into your house. I don't know exactly what time, but he's going to try to break into your house tonight. That householder is going to be ready and waiting for that intruder when he comes in. And so Jesus takes that example and says, okay, that's, you should be like that in waiting for my return. Now, he's not saying that he's a thief. He's just saying this idea, if you, if you knew a thief was coming, you would be prepared. It's, it's the whole point of the thief to try to come when you're not ready. But Jesus says, if you will be ready, 
you will not be left behind. And so he, he, said, he uses these words, these, these commands, these imperatives to stay awake and be ready, to believe that he is coming and to be prepared for it. And so Christians must keep watch for the Lord, and our lives should be evidence of this reality. Now, am I saying, okay, every single one of us can't go to sleep tonight. Everybody needs to hang outside and just look towards the eastern sky, just waiting for Jesus' return. We should all do that every day until he comes back. You can if you want, but as always, Jesus is talking more about a spiritual reality in this sense than he is that type of uh, physical response and being prepared. So what does this look like? Well, we know that this parable itself was a core teaching in the New Testament and in the early church. Paul, Peter, and the Apostle John, all three of them, reference this parable in their writings to churches as a source of encouragement, inspiration, and challenge to them. We see in 1 Thessalonians 5, we see in 2 Peter 3, and we see in the book of Revelation, this reference to the day of the Lord coming like a thief. So you need to be awake and you need to be ready. Now, if you're like me, when you read that, you go, okay, how do I do that? What does that look like? And so I think maybe a more modern day illustration might be helpful for us. And so during the 1960s, during the period of the um, Vietnam War, there was a love story that very few people know about that kind of emerged in the midst of this Vietnam War. Uh, there was a young Marine, his name was Bill, and he was stationed in Vietnam, and he had a buddy who uh, had a wife back home in the States, and his wife had a friend who wanted to write back and forth letters to, this, to any, any soldier, any Marine. She just wanted to do that. So, of course, Bill, he's, you know, this young guy and says, oh, you know, I, I, it'll at least pass the time and I'll at least, uh, you know, give, it'll give her a thrill to get this, you know, letter from a real soldier. So he writes the first of what would become many letters over the next six months to this young girl, 18-year-old girl named Annette, who actually lived in Texas. And so you can imagine this 18-year-old girl, she is thrilled and excited when she gets this letter from this Marine, and she's excited about it. She fills it, you know, answers this question. She starts writing about herself, and this correspondence begins back and forth between Texas and Vietnam over the course of six months. Now, every letter, it was exciting to get. Now, I know the younger people in this room may not know what letters are. It's this piece of paper. You stick it in an envelope. You lick it. You put a stamp on it. You put it in the mail, and it doesn't arrive instantaneously. It actually takes some time for somebody to physically carry this letter and deliver it. And that's what's going on here. So this is back in the days before email, before text messaging, uh, before cell phones, believe it or not. And so the time span between each of those letters varied. It depended on uh, tactical maneuvers that uh, Bill and his group were making at the time and other reasons that would delay the coming of these letters. So you can imagine kind of the anticipation and excitement waiting on each letter. And you can see her sitting at home, waiting for the mailman to come, and she's wondering, okay, am I getting a letter? I haven't gotten a letter in like two weeks, so what does that mean? Does that mean he's done with me? Did I say something that irritated him? Did he die? What's going on? But every moment of expectation and anticipation and fear and anxiety was always subsided by the next letter that came in. And so over the course of these months, she began writing back and forth and back and forth, and 
Remarkably, without being able to see each other in person or to hear each other's voices, their relationship began to flourish and deepen into something beyond just a pen pal type of relationship. And then one day, she actually got a letter from him, the one she'd been waiting for that said, I'm coming home. And now on my way home, I'm going to come by and see you. And so the plan was for him and a buddy of his, when they landed in California, his, his friend was going to buy a car. He bought a Mustang, I think, and uh, got in the car and was going to drive across the country because Bill's family lived in Florida. So the plan was they are going to start driving across the country, and at some point in time, they would stop in Texas for Bill to meet Annette. And so it, even then, again, cell phone coverage and whatever, she didn't know when he was coming. She just knew he's going to come at some point in time, hopefully in the next couple of weeks. So there was some car trouble and those types of things that delayed his coming. And so, but you can imagine every day as she's getting ready for work, she worked at a local grocery store, she is getting ready. She's uh, wondering, okay, what am I going to wear today? How am I going to fix my hair? How's my makeup going to be? When he comes, I want to be ready for him. I don't want to be caught off guard. So, okay, I was planning on doing this today, but if he comes, then I don't want to, I don't want to be doing that. I want to be ready when he's coming. You can imagine this expectation, anticipation. Well, then finally the day arrives and Bill shows up and she is ready and waiting for him. And a few months later, as you might guess, he did ask her to marry him. They got married and my parents have been married for almost 50 years now. So that's a really cool story about how God brought my parents together. At the same time, it is a perfect picture for us of what that expectation looks like and how we should be preparing and being ready for the coming day of the Lord. The the decisions we make each morning about how is my day going to go, the conversations that we have with other people, the way we pray, the way we live our lives is affected by this future coming of our King. Now, Let's be honest. As I studied this passage, I was gravely, gravely convicted about how I've let the mundane, temporary things of this life just kind of cloud over that vision of Christ's return. Sure, I believe that he's coming back, but maybe if you're honest with yourself, your attitude is kind of like what's happening at the end of that USA Today story. I want to catch more Pokemon. Football season is coming up. Holidays are coming up. I want to see my child graduate uh, before Jesus comes back. I want to get married before Jesus comes back. Jesus, please don't come back now. I really want to be married before then. Or I want to see my grandkids grow up. There's so many good things in our life that oftentimes are temporary things that cloud our vision and dull our sensitivity to Christ's return. And so then we begin just living for the moment instead of living for eternity. Jesus says, it's because you don't know the day and the hour that he could come at any moment. He could come right when I'm preaching. And every single one of us should be ready. So the question for us is, are we ready? And if not, how do we get ready? How do we keep watch? How do we stay ready? Well, there's there's two words that I want to give you today to kind of help guide us. And they're pretty simple words, and when you hear them, you'll probably say, okay, duh. But they are, when we unpack them, they are really the keys to what it looks like for us to be vigilant and be ready and prepared for when Christ returns, if we are believers in Christ. The two words are remember and obey. Remember 
and obey. Now, I'm a task-oriented person. I'm the guy with the sticky notes and making a to-do list and love scratching things off. And so when I hear the word remember, that that's, that's what I have to do, I'm like, really? Remember? That seems so passive. It seems like, oh, I'm just going to sit out on the porch with my Dr. Pepper rocking and just thinking and pondering and remembering. No, the remembering that the Bible talks about is an active spiritual discipline in our lives where we are constantly bringing to mind the things of the Lord and the purposes and promises of God because all of us are really forgetful. And so quickly we forget the great works that God's done in our lives in the past, his great promises and instructions toward us. And so oftentimes we just don't remember his goodness. And it's because we are forgetful that we don't have our lives patterned after and because of his return in our lives. But God is gracious to us. And we see over and over, I've always been amazed if you read the scriptures, specifically in the New Testament, when it's talking about the end times or a biblical author is writing this letter to this church that may be going through persecution or something like that, that what they tell them to do is remember. Now, when you're going through a really deep, dark time in your life, Somebody saying, remember, just doesn't seem to make much sense. If you've seen the movie The Lion King, maybe you think of uh, Mufasa saying, remember who you are, you know? And you go, okay, that's kind of weird. How does that help me out? But over and over throughout the New Testament, the writers will say to the people that they're writing to, hey, I am writing this to remind you of how great our God is. I am writing to remind you because we are so forgetful in our lives, in our daily walk, that we just kind of, it just becomes old habit. Yeah, it's kind of out there, but it's not a reality that is driving and pushing us on a regular basis. So remembering is keeping his return and his coming at the forefront of our mind. Matthew 6, Jesus says to his disciples as they are, he says, don't worry about what, what you're gonna eat, what you're gonna drink, what you're gonna wear, these temporary things in your life. But what does he say to do? He says, seek first the kingdom of God something that has eternal matter, and all of these other things, these temporary things, will be added to you. And so Jesus is telling us and his disciples that we are to be people who are looking forward to that day, setting our mind on eternal matters, and the temporary things will will take care of themselves. And so God actually is so gracious that he provides two, more than two probably, but at least two gifts to aid us in our remembering his return. First, he gives us his word. Second, he gives us his people. If you look in Matthew 24, I started in verse 36. If you move one verse ahead of that, Jesus says in verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. God gives us his word, his eternal word, his enduring word. He gives that to us to remind us of his purposes in this world, to remind us of his faithfulness to us, and to remind us of who he is. And it is through this enduring word, this eternal word, that not only does he remind us, but he sustains us through difficult times. As we go to the word and we trust in the promises that he's given us, that even though his promise may be slow in coming, we can trust and we can believe him. When, when Peter talks about this in 2 Peter 3, he actually says a phrase you've probably heard before that with God a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. He's writing to a people. He's telling them to remember. He said, I'm writing this to remind you about 
by, to, he says, to bring to mind by way of reminder on this double thing about that Christ is coming back. And there are people that say he's not coming back, but you can trust that. And just trust that with God, time is not the same as time is to you. What is like a day to us is like a thousand years to God. What is like a thousand years to us is like a day to God. God's timetable is totally different. But you can believe and trust this, that God has a plan for this delay. And the plan for his delay is so that more may come to faith and experience salvation in him. What a great and glorious God we have. And so it's through his word that he sustains us through difficult times. I mean, you think about those who are going through persecution for their faith. It is God's word that sustains them and encourages them in the midst of that. Helps them to see that Christ is coming. And one day, yes, I'm experiencing these uh, temporary struggles, but one day all things will be made right when he returns. And so he reminds us through his word. He also reminds us through his people. Other believers who come alongside us, remind us of God's goodness and encourage us along the way. We do that in the local church. When, when God saves you, he doesn't save you just to be this individual Christian that kind of tries to figure out life on your own. No, he brings you together into a church family. And we saw this morning through baptism, a brother coming into the family of God a church committing to say, hey, we are with you. We are going to encourage you on difficult days. We're going to continue to point you to Jesus on the days that you forget and your eyes move from the eternal to the temporal. We're going to be there for you and we're going to walk through this. And the way we do that as a church on a regular basis is we sing songs. One of the reasons we sing songs, if you've not figured this out yet, is we are reminding ourselves and one another of the goodness of God. The songs that we sang this morning about our God is able and it's through him that we overcome, we are singing that to remind ourselves of the goodness of God and of his return and what it's going to look like when he does return. So we do it in our singing. We do it in our praying. When we gather with other believers and we plead for God to make things right. We had injustice throughout our land in recent weeks and months that hit even Dallas. And God's people responded in prayer, coming together, saying, God, we need you. This, this world is destroying itself, and without you, we have no hope. In prayer, we are reminding one another of God's great promises to us, that he will fulfill his promises, and that he is faithful. And just through the everyday conversations that you have with other believers in this church, you have an opportunity to point them to the eternal, to point them to Christ. When they're going through a tough time and you say, hey, I'm going to pray with you. Can I share the scripture with you that the Lord has shown me in times like this? Or maybe it's somebody who's a new Christian and you're walking through that, showing them, discipling them, helping them get ready for the coming day of the Lord. It's through God's people that we encourage one another and build one another up and remind each other to keep his coming on the forefront of our minds. Well, not only should we remember, but we should obey. Jesus tells another parable right after this thief and householder, which we're going to look at here in verse 45, to illustrate what it looks like to be a faithful servant, to be ready for the return of your master. In verse 45, he says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But... If that wicked servant says to himself, 
my master's delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour that he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus follows up this householder thief illustration with an illustration of the difference between a wise and faithful good servant who's been put in charge of his master's household while his master's away and a wicked servant. And so the wise and faithful one, what does he do? It says his master comes back and finds him doing the things he told him to do when he left, right? He's just continuing on, obeying his master's instructions until his master comes back. And he doesn't have to worry or be scared of that return because he knows, hey, I'm being faithful. I'm doing what he told me to do until he comes back. I'm carrying out his plans that he had while he was away. Unlike that, the wicked servant basically uses this delay. He's like, oh, he's going to be gone for a long time. I'm just going to basically do whatever I want. I'm going to live selfishly. I'm going to abuse people for my own gain. And uh, when he comes back, then, you know, I'll, I'll get it all together. I'll clean all the house up and get everything back in order just before he gets there. But again, same illustration, the master comes back at a time he does not know and he is not ready. And there are specific applications for us as Christians and whether or not we are good and faithful servants and we are continuing to walk in faithful obedience to the things that we read in the Bible and that we hear preached on Sunday mornings. Are we being faithful and obedient until he comes? It's really easy to be like, oh, Jesus will come back some other day. Today, I'm just going to kind of chill and do things my way. And Jesus says, no, that's, that's, that is not what I'm asking you to do. If you really want to be prepared, you not only need to remember that I'm coming and keep that on the forefront of your mind, but it should shape the way you live your life. In 2 Peter 3, Peter says, knowing that the end is coming and that Jesus will return, what types of lives should we live? We should live godly and holy lives before him, walking in obedience to the commands that he's given us. Faithful obedience to what we see in the scriptures. And what are those? Things like loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Loving our neighbor as ourself. Making disciples of all nations. Joining with the deacons this coming Sunday to go out and share the good news of the gospel for those who are not ready for Christ's return. That we walk in faithful obedience If you don't know, what should I do in this life before Jesus gets back? It's right here. He has provided in his word the instructions that we need and the daily encouragement through his people to walk in obedience and faithfulness. Jesus also talks about in Matthew 25, just a couple verses later, he talks about, he gives this parable of these three servants who are given talents. And the master gives them some things to be responsible for. He leaves on a journey. When he comes back, two of them have doubled their, uh, what they were given, and one of them basically just buried it in the ground and squandered it. And to the one who had been faithful and doubled it, regardless of how much they had received at the beginning, they were faithful with what they had and continued to carry out their master's plans, advance their their master's uh, property. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. But the one who was afraid and apprehensive and just kind of lazy. He says, you wicked and slothful servant, take what he was given to begin with and give it to somebody else because he doesn't deserve it. And Jesus is warning us 
that we cannot be slothful, we cannot be lazy in our walk with the Lord, that we have to be vigilant, waiting on that day when he comes. And that it should affect every aspect of our lives. It should affect the way we pray. It should affect our calendars. It should affect the conversations we have, the people we talk to, us laying aside our pride to talk to that friend or family member who doesn't know Christ and putting ourselves out there in that way of stewarding our resources and realizing that the things that God has given us, he's given us to advance his kingdom. So our time, our gifts, our finances belong to him. And so we say, how can we steward that until he returns? And God is calling us to be ready when he returns. So how do we prepare for Christ's return? We remember and we obey. We keep the promise of his coming at the forefront of our minds and we walk in faithful obedience to his commands until he returns. It seems really simple, but it's really difficult. And that's why he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives to daily draw us back to him and to lead us and guide us. And he gives us his word to sustain us, and he gives us his church to encourage us and to walk with us in the journey. May he return to find each and every one of us faithful and good servants who are ready for his coming. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we realize that there are so many implications even to what we've already said today. Uh, God, there's, there's not a to-do list that I can give out that says, oh, you gotta do these three things and you'll be okay. But it is just a daily faithful walking and obedience to your commands. And it is a daily remembering your goodness toward us. So Father, I pray today, Lord, if there's any of us here that maybe we're realizing, wow, I've kind of just kind of forgotten about uh, Christ coming. I'm, I know I'm good to go whenever he comes back, but I've not really been preparing myself for his return. God, I pray that if there's somebody here that's doing that, that they would just repent and receive your forgiveness for that and start fresh today and walking in, in regular obedience to you. Father, for somebody here that may not know you, maybe today's been a kind of a jolt to their system about the reality of your coming and what it would look like if you came today, would they be ready? I pray today that they wouldn't leave this place without talking to somebody about how they can know you, receive the forgiveness that you offer in your love and be one of your children. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.